Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans, and welcome to episode number 44 of the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast, if you don't know, is our little weekly internet radio show talking all about USC. And this week on the podcast, of course, the regular season is over, so we're going to look ahead a little bit to the Rose Bowl. We're going to talk about some of the postseason awards. We're going to talk about recruiting. We're going to talk about coaching changes, all kinds of stuff. If you have any questions or comments for us, just drop us an email, podcast at uscfootball.com. That's podcast at uscfootball.com. Drop us an email. We'll try to talk about your topic on the air. I don't know if this is really air because this is a podcast, but over the uh, over the internet, that's what we'll talk about. And in the first segment, as always, we have the coach, Harvey Hyde, joining us. Thank you very much, coach, for joining us. How are you? Ryan, how could I be any better? I mean, this is the greatest time of the year. The holiday season, bowl game, NFL football winding down, College basketball, NBA basketball. I, I, I'd use the whole show telling you what a great time of year it is, okay? But it's a happy holiday season for everyone, and we certainly hope it is out there. And, Ryan, I want to thank you for the opportunity of being on USCfootball.com. And uh, we're almost reaching the 50th show. Can you can you imagine that? I mean, that means you're having a lot of fun if you can last that long on doing anything, okay? We are we're going pretty good. It'll be I think in February it'll be our year anniversary, so that'll be kind of fun uh to definitely do that. We have a new website up, peristylepodcast.com. You can check that out. It's a little bit better, nicer interface. So if you want to go there if you're ever lost and you don't know where the Peristyle Podcast is, just go to peristylepodcast.com. And uh, of course, the Rose Bowl is coming up. If you need tickets for that Rose Bowl, why don't you visit our ticket sponsor, Southern California Tickets, sctickets.com is the URL. You give them a call, 1-800-888-7287. Concerts, sporting events, theaters, whatever you need, you can get tickets from sctickets.com. I know, Coach, you use them. I use them for uh, everything, for concerts, for games. and He always does his very best to try to get you in the best seat as far as for the most reasonable price. And I think that's really important. And, you know, being that Southern California Tickets is in Pasadena, Obviously, knows he knows the parade area, and remember, there's a Rose Parade before the Rose Bowl game. You can get tickets for him, him uh, for the Rose Parade, and also for the Rose Bowl game. Or, you know, I'm going down to the Orange Bowl, and uh, you know, where'd I get my tickets? Through Southern California Ticket Service. So you can get them for any bowl game. Nice. Yeah, I was thinking about the uh, parade. I've never been. I've lived in LA almost 20 years now. I've never been to the uh, Rose Bowl parade. So I'm gonna have to check that out sometime. So maybe I'll give them a call try to bring my girlfriend over there because we're going to be working the game of course but check out the parade beforehand see what that's like it's absolutely fabulous you know about three years ago i had the opportunity of writing in the play uh, in the parade one of my uh, best friends bill lofthouse owns a company phoenix decorating company and it was his 50th parade so honda i don't know if you remember if you watched the parade honda had that big train the uh Largest float or longest float ever to be in the Tournament of Roses parade. The actual size of a real locomotive and train and so on. Whoa. And we were riding in the cab and dressed up like firemen and engineers and all of that stuff. It was absolutely fabulous. And the entire parade route, Johnny Cash was singing, Hear that train a-coming, coming around the bend. 
And I'll tell you, when I got down at the end of the thread, I finally knew the words. <laughs> I could sing it. I was singing the song uh, as we finally got to Victory Park where they have the post-parade area and so on. It was absolutely fabulous to do that. So I had a chance to do that once. That was enough because you have to get up real early and so on. And that was a long day, riding in the parade and going over to the Rose Bowl, doing the pregame show, and then doing and then going to the game and all of that. That was a long day. That has to be. How long is the parade route? Like, if you're sitting on a float, how long are you on there listening to that same Johnny Cash song over and over and over again? Five miles. It's about five miles, and uh, the weather was beautiful. We were lucky, but it's nippy in the morning. you got to get to the parade route area if you're going to be a participant. The parade starts at 8 o'clock, 8 a.m., and you have to get there about 5. So, Ooh. you know, you get up real early, and you get over there, and you have to... Uh, be ready, and it's just a long day, and the parade actually takes about two hours, two and a half hours to go the, the length of the parade route, and uh, it's, it's really a fantastic thing to see all of these people. They say that approximately there's a million people on the parade route now. Who knows exactly how many people there really is, but it's absolutely fabulous to see that, and then from there you go over to the, the Rose Bowl. If you have tickets to the Rose Bowl game, and, and it's just a fabulous day, but if you haven't been to the Rose Parade Right, I'm going to tell you, you've got to do it. But if you think it's uh, something fantastic on, on TV, you ought to see it in person. When you hear the music and you, and you, and you smell the flowers and you, the bands, and you don't miss any of the floats or, or equestrian or anything because of you know TV timeouts, it's absolutely fabulous. It really is something great to go to. All right, well, I'm going to have to put that. It's on my list. We're going to check that out for sure. But let's get to... Uh... Some of the topics and your your dog won the. <laughs> my dog, my dog's going to the parade. Nice. And she just wanted me to remember that she likes the VIP seats right there in the corner of Orange Grove in Colorado. So I'm going to call Southern California tickets. There you go. It's very very smart pooch you got there. Uh, well, coach, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I want people to know it is a real life segment. The dog is here in the studio, <laughs> so don't worry about it, everybody. I'm sure everybody has an animal and. That's just the way it is. She's my starting quarterback, so I'm not throwing her out. <laughs> no problem, no problem. Uh, there was a topic last week, Coach. Uh, uh, we didn't get to it. We, we kind of teased it a little bit. We wanted to talk about it. You mentioned it in the beginning of uh, our little segment there. We were talking about the Bulls, and there's a lot of Bulls, and you know, there's obviously there's a lot of talk about a, a playoff and people wanting a playoff and not wanting to disrupt the Bull structure. And I, I don't remember. I think there's up to 36 Bulls or something. There is a lot of Bulls. You have a lot of mediocre teams six and six teams that are going to bowls and and you had a, a theory that was interesting i just wanted to bring that up about you think there'd be some contraction with those bowls starting next year right well my, my thinking on this is is ryan there's 34 actual bowl games now so that means there's 68 teams going to bowl games i mean teams that are seven and six teams that are six and six and so on that's tremendous but you have more kids that are really interested or get the honor of, of an experience that they can talk about the rest of their life. And you have 17 winners that can bet bowl rings and remember I've been to Hawaii or I went someplace I've never been before and they treat you so wonderful and so on. But it costs money. It costs money to produce these bowl games uh, as far as television crews. And, you know, it, it costs money to, 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 to sponsor these bowls, the gifts and everything that goes on. Plus, remember, the teams must pay for a certain amount of tickets to make the bowls go. Like uh, in the Las Vegas Bowl, I believe each team's responsible for something like 10,000 tickets, which means if they can't sell those tickets, they have to buy those tickets from the athletic department. And the guarantees in some of these bowl games aren't big enough really 
to pay all of the team's expenses and then share money with the rest of the conference's teams and so on. Now, the Rose Bowl and the BCS Bowl games obviously are big enough for everyone to pick up approximately, I'm going to say, I don't want to tell you exactly, but approximately $700,000 after expenses from a BCS Bowl game goes to every individual member of the conference, depending how many conference members you have, actually. So the BCS Bowl games are going to be here because they're going to be sponsored and they're going to have enough interest and so on. And eventually down the road now, since the ES, since ESPN has purchased the rights starting in two years to the BCS Bowl games, and, and ESPN is very smart. They've just picked up in L.A. here the Lakers, so now they have USC and the Lakers. If there's two bigger teams in Southern California than that, it, it doesn't happen. So that gives them strength in their station here in Southern California. But by picking up the BCS Bowl games, it costs them a lot of money, but they're going to make a lot of money during hard times. Because people like entertainment. People want to watch bowl games and so on. So what's going to happen, the BCS Bowl games eventually, after they get all the subscribers, there's a lot of people that still don't subscribe to cable and ESPN, the special packages. They're going to get people now that used to watch games on CBS, ABC, and so on, like the Rose Bowls on ABC and Fox, of course, uh, had the free uh, BCS games. Uh, well, all of a sudden, these people now are going to have to buy cable. They're going to have to be at the package, the sports packages and so on, to watch the BCS Bowl games. Once they increase their membership, say, 10 million or whatever over the country of sports fans and so on, then I would suggest I'm just forecasting this. Then in about three years from now, after they've built that up, they're going to form like they have the NFL package and you have the college package. You're going to be able to purchase or have to purchase the BCS package in order to watch these five bowl games. And that's now going to cost you another $150 or $140 or whatever the price might be. Who knows? Which will generate enough money from that package to pay the college expenses of the BCS Bowl games, believe me. And then all the new cable subscribers will be all profit. So you'll have a package now that you're going to have to pay for in order to watch the BCS Bowl games because they have to find a way to be able to pay for these expensive productions and what they're giving the NCAA and, and the teams that play in these bowl games. Now these smaller bowl games where we have bowl games that don't have this type of power of generating cash where they try to get title sponsors to pick up most of the expenses, there are a lot of these bowls are corporate companies, companies that are struggling currently right now. And maybe in a few years or maybe even next year are going to really say, you know, we can't afford this any longer. We can't sponsor your bowl game or we can't advertise on television at the rate of these spots to to have these bowl games. Uh, you know, like, like, don't get me wrong, but Saturday there's four bowl games. Well, maybe two of those bowl games will be gone next year. I, I don't want that to happen. I'm just saying maybe that'll happen because there's not going to be enough money to produce the games, pay for the crowd, do all the things that are necessary, pay the team's expenses to make it feasible. And universities are going to have trouble struggling, so they're not going to want to come out of their pocket to pay for their team to go to a bowl game. Now, it's great to do that. The big universities can do that, but some of the smaller universities can't do that. So, And people aren't going to be buying as many tickets. 
So some of the smaller bowls are going to struggle. And I would say, I would say in about a year or two from now, you'll go from 34 maybe down to 20 bowl games. And it's terrible to say that, but I think it's going to happen because I think it's a cost factor in the economy the way it is. There isn't going to be the necessary money out there unless you're in the BCS and some of these other larger bowls to be able to generate the type of money because you're drawing in 60,000, 70,000 people in order to afford it. So, you know, that's real quickly what I think will it happen. I hope not, but I, if I was to bet on it, i say it is. Wow, there's a lot there, Coach. Uh, starting off, uh, I think what you're saying similarly with if, if when ESPN gets the, these BCS bowl games, there's people that still don't have cable or satellite. Uh, I think a similar thing happened back when Fox was forming as a network and now become one of the four major networks. I mean, when they got football, I think they got the NFC when the NFC was uh, dominating the AFC. And then a lot of people, you know, they had to become, you know, you had to make sure you could get Fox. And, you know, eventually they just became one of the major networks. It was just the big three before and then kind of Fox joined in. I think NFL football, when they picked that up, was a big part of that. Then this year, or I think it was last year, ESPN you know, became the uh, host of Monday Night Football. So before you could always get Monday Night Football, if, uh, you know, you had just, you know, you could just get it over the airwaves and now you would need some kind of subscription because it's only on ESPN. And then obviously, like you said, this adds another level to it. If you want to see the BCS Bowl games, you're going to have to have some sort of cable thing. That's interesting that you think that they're going to put that as a separate package. I, I haven't, I mean, they haven't done anything like that before with, uh, you know, the, um, Stanley Cup or with uh, World Series or with the Super Bowl or anything like that. So that would be interesting if they do something like that. I don't know. That might cause a bit of an outrage, but we'll have to see what happens there. But with the, the bulk, you know, contraction stuff there, I I mean, I'm it's it's great for, for teams. Bowl games are great. I mean, the players get to go and have a good experience and stuff. But it's getting to the point. You said there's 34 total bowls now. It's almost like a youth soccer kind of thing where everybody gets a trophy and you know, maybe you shouldn't go to a bowl if you're six and six. <laughs> is that is that really so terrible that if you have a you're five hundred, um, maybe you don't go to a bowl game? Um, so I I don't know. I mean, it it would suck to see some of those bowl games do you know get canceled or, or just go away or whatever. But I, I, maybe there is a little bit of fat that they can trim off there, coach. Well, you're right, and and you got to remember that a lot of these bowl games are owned by ESPN because they were able to sell them. And there was a audience that was there to watch them. And there was enough advertisers who wanted to get on it. So ESPN, I think sponsors four or six bowl games themselves. Now that means they're paying the expenses. Now, if they can't get the advertisers that are out there and so on, then those bowl games will go away unless they find a way to pay for them themselves, uh, sponsorships and so on. So, uh, you know, it's a business. Everything has a bottom line. As long as the universities are making money, as long as ESPN is making money, as long as the, the Rose Bowl, which has a Tournament of Roses package where they don't make a lot of money on the Rose Parade, the Tournament of Roses makes their money to operate year-round on the parade, not on the, uh, not on the parade, on the game, not the parade. The parade is all private seating that is put up by different companies and so on. So you've got to look and see, you know, all of these offices and full-time people and so on have to be staffed 
And so, so there's got to be enough money to generate all this year round. So uh, you've got to look at the economy. I, you know, I could take all day talking to you uh, about what's going to happen in professional sports here in the very near future and what's going to happen in, in a lot of areas in the very near future regarding the economy and what's going on. Just go to, I don't want to say point specifically to any one team, just go to a stadium now or start to go to a stadium now and look in the luxury suites and you'll see now how many lights are off. That will give you an indication that that suite is not sold or someone didn't pay for it or whatever. And there's a lot of money that's generated from these suites and so on. Uh, why has the NFL discounted the Super Bowl ticket 10% and laid off people? Why? The NFL? Can you believe that? Why? Because they're anticipating uh, in the future a drop in revenues for people to advertise, to afford the tickets. Uh, the corporate structure of the Super Bowl is made up of corporations. Many people don't go to that game. People don't pay $3,000 out of their pocket, the normal fan. They can't even get a ticket if they wanted to pay unless they went somewhere to buy it from a broker. They're corporate tickets. They're people entertaining their, their business people. They're having parties that cost $100,000. They're having NFL players come. They're paying them $25,000 to attend the, pay, uh, the parties. Uh, I don't know how many people know about all this behind the scenes, but right now, there's a lot of companies that are struggling to make payroll and letting people go. So in order to maintain the Super Bowl and have a sellout, you know, it could be this year, this, this could be the first Super Bowl that isn't a sellout since wow. the first Super Bowl in L.A. And I'm not saying that's going to happen, but start to think about it, where people are going to be putting their dollars, exactly where it counts and what they do to keep their company going. It's interesting to see what's happening in the whole corporate landscape with sports. And even if you're watching the hot stove league stuff uh, for baseball, if you're a baseball fan, I mean, you know, you'd think like a Manny Ramirez a couple of years ago probably would have got that five or six year contract worth, you know, 20, 30 million a year. Well, it doesn't look like he's getting it this year. He's going to get something shorter. It's a, I think that everyone knows. I mean, I think Buick had to drop Tiger Woods. I mean, that's, there's no bigger name in sports than Tiger Woods. And, there's so much out there just for stadiums, you know, the new Yankee stadium. I think they're having some problems. Uh, there's so much, there's, there's so many cutbacks out there that it's not, you know, all the sports isn't the cash cow that it always was. And even the NFL, which is probably the most successful sports league on the planet, uh, they're making cutbacks. And I think you're right though, coach, it's more of a proactive thing. I don't think you're seeing the crunch really right now. I mean, they have, you know, it helps that they don't have guaranteed contracts. It helps that there's, there's a big salary cap and stuff like that. But I think they're being a little more proactive, knowing that, hey, we're not going to have the same kind of uh, just unbridled success that we were having in the past because the economy is turning around. And they're doing a little bit proactively trying to help that out. No, you're exactly right. And, you know, we've got into this, and I'm sorry I drug it on like this long, because this is the only thing that we want to talk about today. But when we get into a topic, I like our listeners to sort of know exactly what I think or you think or what I think possibly is the future in certain areas. And, uh, uh, and I think this is one reason why there's not going to be a playoff, because it affects uh, financially the universities, paydays, and everything else. People will not follow a team. How many people, let's say FC had to play three games to get to the championship game, how many people are going to travel to three different locations or two different locations 
and be able to afford it to stay there and go through all of that for a playoff. Yeah, that's it, tough. It, you know, and and so there's a lot of things people say. You know, you listen to talk radio, you listen to all these guys, you read the media. Oh, we want a playoff. We want a national champion. You only decided on the field. Hey, yeah, that sounds good, but there's a lot of other reasons too why they're not having it. Plus, I like it. Look at how we all argue. Who's number one? Who's number two? Who's number three? You know, I love arguing about it. You know, that way, uh, if it was, look how boring it would be. You'd have a playoff. Oh, hey, they're the they're the champion, and then only one team can be happy. I mean, ridiculous. I think it's ridiculous. Uh, we'll have to see what happens, coach. And yeah, we we did kind of get uh go off. Get straight off a little bit. That's huh? okay. That's all right. I mean. Uh, it's the you know we're gonna have a lot of stuff to talk about this off season and we you know we can take take one topic like that and turn it into a whole whole segment that's a pretty good sign and uh, I I'm curious I don't know if I agree with you that they'll sell that as a separate package but I could definitely see them definitely wanting to do something like that uh, obviously you can make a lot of money that way you put it some kind of pay per view basis but there might be a huge backlash from the general public because they they're not used to paying for championships in that that same way. Well, let me tell you, buddy, you're going to pay for it just like you pay for the Super Bowl. In the near future, you're going to be paying for the Super Bowl. Do you realize casinos and sports bars and so on have to pay for the Super Bowl to be able to play it in their, in their places? Did you know that? Yeah, well, I mean, even if you go to Vegas, they can't, you can't have a Super Bowl party. I, I guess Vegas That's had, exactly right. they had some kind of so, campaign that was saying, why go to uh-huh. the Super Bowl when you come to Las Vegas? And that apparently uh, – <laughs> enraged that fizzled the, out. Yeah, enraged you can only show it on a certain size screen. How's that? Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, on a certain size of a room. And they have monitors that walk around, and they can close you down. Oof. So, you know, eventually this is going to happen, Brian. It's going to happen, and you mentioned the World Series and all the rest of it. It's all going to happen. But that's the future. It's the future, and that's why. How are they going to continue paying these huge salaries? I tell you, if I was Manny Ramirez, you know what I'd do? I'd take my $20 million or $30 million, I'd sign the line, and I'd go somewhere right now. Because I feel the longer it goes and the economy continues to get worse, the less he's going to get. And all these players are going to get. The big days, heydays for professional athletes are over. Wow. I'm well, telling you. Well. They're going to be affected. Hey, if everybody's affected, corporate presidents and everything else, if they're going to be affected, why? if the owner's going to be affected, why wouldn't the players be affected? No, it's top to bottom. If it, it everywhere across the board, the fans that pay for everything are going to be affected. It's going to hurt the bottom line of the players. You're right for that. You're right on that. Yep. All right, coach. Well, I guess unfortunately we're out of time for this. Oh, segment. I know. I want to keep talking. What do you I want know. to talk about? <laughs> we can Man, talk you got about me it. in the mood now. I know. Just as a little teaser. You just got teaser. me through stretching. <laughs> little te- well, it's good because I think you know some people are worried that. What kind of topics can we talk about in the middle of oh. March? We'll have lots to talk about. So We're going to have a lot of topics. Hey, next week maybe we can talk about what's happening with Sarkeesian at SC. We can talk about the matchup, the Rose Bowl game. We can talk about, oh, whatever you want. Or you know what happens. It's whatever you want to talk about. That sounds great. All right, Coach. Well, thank you very much again for joining us, and uh, we will talk to you again next week. You got it, buddy. See you. And happy holidays to everyone. All right. Happy holidays. And uh, everyone else, we'll be right back. We're going to talk to Dan Weike of USCFootball.com. We'll talk about some of those topics. Coach mentioned the uh, coaching situations and uh, some of the postseason awards and all that. So stay tuned. The Peristyle Podcast will be back after this short break.
Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287, 1-800-888-7287, that's 1-800-888-7287, or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. Hey, USC Trojan fans, to get into the huddle of your Southern Cal Trojans, log on to uscfootball.com today for all the latest in Trojan football, basketball, and recruiting news. Ryan Abraham will give you an in-depth analysis, recruiting updates, and will answer your questions every day on the message board. So for all the latest in team and recruiting news on your USC Trojans, check out uscfootball.com, the officially licensed Southern Cal site of the Rivals.com network. We now return to the Parastyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. Welcome back to the Parastyle Podcast. It's our second segment. And as promised, we have Dan Weike, uscfootball.com beat writer. Dan, what's going on this rainy day in L.A.? I was going to say, yeah, I thought it never rains in Southern California. No, what's I think it's, it's like as cold as it's been in the last 10 years or something. So uh, you, you, I guess you brought it out here with you. Yeah, this is nothing. This is uh, this is this is uh, this is pleasant right now. So pleasant weather. Could be a lot worse. All right, so the uh, season's ended. We uh, still got a couple weeks before the Rose Bowl is here, and uh, so we got some other stuff we want to talk about. First up, I wanted to bring up some of the uh, coaching changes that are going on and kind of get your thoughts. I mean, I think people know John Morton was promoted on Friday. He's the new offensive coordinator. And uh, the, mm-hmm. the biggest news lately has been that Rocky Seto, who's the defensive back coach, um, was offered the defensive coordinator job at Washington to follow Steve Sarkeesian, who is, of course, now the head coach at the University of Washington. And he turned it down, but he did get a pay raise. And he's now the assistant head coach of defense. I think that's what it's called. I just wanted to get your thoughts on all that. <laughs> that's sort of like double secret probation, I think. It's just kind of like I'm not exactly sure what that means. That's one of those things I'm looking forward to to asking Pete Carroll in the next few days is what the assistant head coach for defense does. If that means that, you know, if Pete Carroll gets rolled up Charlie Weiss style and can't coach, does that mean Rocky's now the head coach of defense? Or I don't know what, I don't I'm not a hundred percent sure exactly what that means, but you know, I think um, the Morton promotion um, was not a big surprise really for anybody. Um, you know, I think there was some, some thoughts that maybe, you know, they could throw a curveball and maybe go outside the program and, and interview somebody, maybe bring in somebody with some NFL experience. That didn't happen. Um, it still looks like that Carl Smith is probably going to be the quarterback's coach with John Morton as the offensive coordinator, though that's not set in stone yet. The thing with Rocky, though, the interesting thing with Rocky, I think, is that you look at the Washington situation, um, and that's a good job. I mean, to be the defensive coordinator at a school where you can recruit, a school with good facilities and stuff like that, a school that – has had a lot of success in the 90s, you know, that would be a good spot for somebody like that. However, I think for most coaches, um, they would have probably jumped on that promotion. I mean, that's a big step up. I think, though, with Rocky, he's not typical. He's a very spiritual guy, and I think for him there are things that are more important than promotions, than pay raises and stuff like that. I mean, that stuff's all nice, but I think ultimately it came down to the fact that, I mean, he was pray- – I know what, every time we talked about it, he said he was praying about it that he was talking to his wife about it, his family about it, and really that they, they kind of looked for some spiritual signs that it was maybe that the call was for them to move up 
and they they just never heard that. I mean, they thought that the, play, the right place for them, that, that Rocky thinks the God's place for him right now, is at USC. And, you know, that's good for Trojan fans. Yeah, I think a lot of Trojan fans really do uh, like him. And he's been around the program. I mean, I guess the one curious thing is his family, I mean, his wife's family, I believe, is from the Bellevue, Washington area, up in the Seattle area. Mm-hmm. But he's been at USC longer than Pete Carroll has. So it's, it's, I think he's got really tight with Carroll, and he really loves him. And uh, like you said, he's a very spiritual person, and he's, he loves the program. He's been around it for a long time. And, you know, the promotion, you could you could argue, is more of a – I mean, it's not a real promotion because you know you're just you know adding another title. But I think he'll actually probably get more to do in the whole defensive scheme, and you know, kind of set it up for if Nick Holt does go somewhere else, then you know Rocky Seto could easily come in and be the defensive coordinator. And it's less of a jump per se because if he was the defensive coordinator at Washington, he would really be he would run the whole defense. Where if you're the defensive coordinator at USC, I mean, for the most part, it's Pete Carroll's defense, and you're kind of the you know, facilitator, you'll call the plays and stuff, but you're really kind of still under Pete Carroll's shadow, you know? So it career wise, mm-hmm. he could have stepped out on his own in Washington and been, you know, the full on defensive coordinator. Well, there, I mean, you can look at it from a career standpoint too. Maybe, you know, if it wasn't that great of a career move because you look at Washington's situation and you look, you're under a first time head coach. So I was a little curious as to why Stark would offer a defensive coordinator a big promotion. <laughs> Excuse me. Sorry choked a little bit. Uh, I get a little I get a little choked up when I talk about Stark leaving, I guess. <laughs> um, you know, I went because he's a first time head coach and you would think that he would want an experienced coordinator to kind of balance that, you know, and, and to be a guy who could uh could kind of, you know, bring some more experience and some, you know, maybe maybe a former head coach, maybe a guy I mean that's why I think obviously I think he asked Nicole first, you know, to be to, to fill that position because Nicole's a more experienced guy. I think that that makes more sense to bring in a guy who's got a lot of experience to be your def- your first defensive coordinator. Because when you're a first time head coach, you need to surround yourself with experience. I mean, because I mean, you need to balance that. You, it can't look like that. No one knows what's going on. I mean, you need to have people there who have have kind of you know where it's not their first rodeo. To, to use a really stupid cliche. No, that's a good point too. But and Nick Holt has experience. He was a head coach at Idaho. He's been up in the Pacific Northwest. So I'm sure he has some recruiting ties up there. Uh, I, I guess the only thing that maybe what Sark was looking at is I think Seto's known as one of the smarter or the smartest coach on the staff, and he does know the defense well. So even if he doesn't have that experience, I think Sark at least had enough confidence in him that he knows so much about this defense, he'd be able to come in and uh, and be able to implement it up there in Washington. Yeah, I mean, and, and you know, that's, I mean, obviously I think that's what Sark's plan is at Washington is to make it, you know, as much USC North as possible. I mean, who wouldn't want to do that? I mean, you come from this program that, and there's been so much success here. You, I think you would want to take as many parts of it with you as possible. I mean, that's why I think he's trying to bring personnel people up, guys like Jared Blank, potentially, you know, football operations uh, coordinator down at Slutech. I mean, that's why he's looking at people like that. Um, even to bring with them. I mean, you wouldn't think that they would have that much to do with it, but, I mean, there are people who are familiar with how things are run at USC, and if you're trying to get things to run that way, you want to bring as many people with you. I mean, secretaries, as, as you you want to bring everybody. To bring the, I mean, whole, bring the whole group, much. yeah. <laughs> yeah, and Sark said as much. that He, he would take everybody if he could, <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's not bad. So, I mean, they've been everyone here has been pretty successful. Um, on the offensive side, 
uh, with uh, John Morton. You got to talk to him. What were his kind of thoughts on things? I mean, there was a lot of stuff still up in the air, even though he's the offensive coordinator. He might not even be calling the plays. He will probably stay up in the press box. He is up in the press box now. It looks like he'll stay up there. And if Carl Smith does come in, it looks like either one of those guys could call plays similar to what they did when Sark and Kiffin were both here at the same time. Yeah, that looks like kind of what they're what they're moving in that that sort of direction. Um, they haven't finalized anything officially with Carl Smith, um, at least not to my knowledge at this point. And uh, you know, it, it looks though like that's what's going to happen. Um, you know, uh, John Morton said that as of right now, he's calling plays. That that's what you know he thinks his role is. Pete Carroll wasn't as committal. He said that you know, he, as of right now, John Morton is prepared to call plays and that they don't know if that's what's going to happen or not yet. So, I mean, that's kind of interesting to see how that shakes out. Um, I do think, again, they want to balance um, Morton's relative inexperience with, you know, some experience from that a guy like Carl Smith has. I mean, that's a guy who's called plays a bunch of places. I mean, he's an NFL offensive coordinator, you know, multiple stops. You know, and I think that that's kind of the balance that, that – P. Carroll's looking for it. He wants to bring in an experienced guy, I think, to be a quarterback's coach because John Morton's just not comfortable with it. As far as being in the press box, I think that's where John Morton's going to stay almost no matter what. He, he's more comfortable there. I think if P. Carroll asked him to coach um, on the sidelines, he would. But I think if P. Carroll asked him to coach wearing a giant banana suit, he would also do that too. <laughs> We're with Dan yeah. Weike, USCFootball.com beat writer. Dan. There was uh, some interesting posts on the message board. I guess all of us that when we were on the podcast, I mean, when you create something like this, you know, we created this from scratch on back in February, just trying to do something new for the site. And it's been, it's been pretty successful. You know, a lot of people, we send us emails, we get a lot of good feedback and stuff. Um, you know, we get, you know, a few thousand downloads of the podcast every week. So that's kind of a nice thing. And I just launched a new mm-hmm. podcast page, peristylepodcast.com. So we're trying to make it bigger and better, you know, each and every week we try to make it better and stuff. Um, and one of the, the ways we know people are listening is when they start talking about it on the USAFootball.com message boards. And there was an interesting thread that uh, called you the great Waiki. Um, uh, and I think it was about what you were saying about the offense. I wanted to see if you wanted to share some of your thoughts on that because I thought that was a pretty funny thread. Um, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Uh, <laughs> it was at, at the end of last week's podcast, um, I, I said something along the lines that, um, you know, if – P. Carroll continues to resist change offensively. And, I mean, he said as much that, you know, he wants continuity. He doesn't want to, to overhaul his system or anything like that. That eventually, at some point in time, the game would potentially pass him by. Um, which, which people, uh, <laughs> they love people that. thought was... People pointed out that uh, they thought I was maybe stupid. Uh, <laughs> or... Uh, I don't know, something along those lines. And and I agree with that. I think that, you know, I mean, if you always are fighting off things like, I mean, I I don't know what college football offenses are going to look like in 10 years. I don't know if it's going to be the spread. I don't know if it's going to be the wishbone again. I don't know what it's going to be. But kind of the soup du jour right now is a spread offense. It's had so much success everywhere. I mean, like places that have run it, I mean, just putting up insane amounts of yards and stuff like that and scoring insane amounts of points, you know, I think that to not give it a serious look, I mean, you're doing yourself a disservice. Now, I understand that Pete Carroll has got uh, just this enormous pro background 
that he's drawn from. And I know that this USC offense has had great success. And I mean, by great success, I mean, look at his record. He's the most, he's got the highest winning percentage of any active coach. You know, they've got, they've, they've gone to just BCS bowl after BCS bowl. But I do think that people sometimes look at this team and say they should have won more national championships. I mean, I think that we can all agree on that, that this has been probably the most talented team in the country almost every season for the last five or six years. And they haven't won a national title. They've gone to, they've gone to, you know, Rose Bowls. They've beaten up on the big 10 and, you know, that's great, but that's, that's <laughs> the bar has not been set particularly high in those games. I mean, you know, Illinois was a good team, not a great team. Michigan was a good team, not a great team. We'll see what happens with Penn state. I think though that maybe, I don't know. I, I see now you've got me all nervous. Now I feel yeah. like people are going to call me stupid again. <laughs> I don't think there's any uh, way to no, avoid that. I, but, no, but I think that, you know, if, if, if I, I think if, if you continue to, to resist change, everybody around you is going to adapt teams, you know, teams in the pack 10 are going to, are going to start putting up more points. Teams in the pack 10 are going to start doing these things that, that, you know, teams like oh, Houston and Tulsa are, if Houston and Tulsa continue to have success, you know, if Florida continues to have success doing what they do. I mean, football's such a copycat thing. I mean, you look at the NFL, it's the biggest copycat league in the world. I mean, you know, Ronnie Brown takes a direct snap in week three, and now all of a sudden everybody's taking direct snaps. Yeah. No, I, I, think, I think your point's well taken that I, the problem is it's, if USC was like, you know, uh, seven and five or something, and you could say, hey, the game might pass them by. It's just they're so close. And we, we almost look at the offense under a microscope, and I'm guilty of the same thing. You're like, why are they leaving so many points on the table, and why is this going on? Uh, I, I think Pete Carroll has the – he's capable of changing. I mean, they could go to something like that. We did a piece like on Gus Malzahn. He would be a cool you know, offensive coordinator come in, but obviously you know, he's kind of not ready for something like that. They wanted to keep everything kind of close to whatever the system was and keep the continuity and all that stuff there. But I think if – the spread keeps going and you see a lot of skill players that are drafted and, you know, we've seen some and I'm sure you'll continue to see more. Um, I mean, I, I don't think he wanted some kind of gimmicky offense or, or a, a read, a, you know, option read the zone read kind of stuff, you know, cause like a yeah. Tim Tebow's great and they recruited Tim Tebow, but you know, that position wouldn't be drafted. I think big, a big thing for him in recruiting is he can send guys to the NFL and he wouldn't want to bring in an offense even if he knew he could score 60 points a game running a, an option, I don't think he'd want to bring that in because he's not be able to, you know, translate to being drafted by the NFL. So I think, you know, that'll happen more and more and maybe he'll feel more comfortable with it and they change down the line, but it doesn't look like, you know, you're right. It doesn't look like it's going to change anytime soon. Well, there are two things actually that, that, that gets me thinking of. One is, is that, um, you know, that, that just speaks to his priorities and, and, that just sounds crazy to me because with their defensive talent, if they could score 60 points a game, they would never lose. They would have won 50 games in a row. I mean, you know what I mean? If they were, if they was just because they, they, they look at their offense and you think, how could anybody stop it? You know, with their running backs, with, <laughs> with their wide receivers, with their offensive line, with their quarterbacks, how could anybody stop it? But I mean, that's, that's a whole separate point. Um, and Pete Carroll's defense, I guess, um, he does incorporate elements of the spread. They do. I mean, they do do stuff with five wide. They do a lot of stuff out of the shotgun. Um, you know, they even toyed with some stuff with Joe McKnight, uh, taking direct snaps and doing some stuff like that. Um, they do have sort of spread some spread philosophies that they, that they incorporate. And I would imagine next year they'll add even more wrinkles and they'll do more things that are working 
elsewhere in the country. Um, I guess my, and, and that's kind of how they're fighting off the fact that the game isn't passing them by, you know, that's their way of defending it is that they, they add these little things here and there. I just think when you look at the, the teams that have had so much success and at some point in time, I mean, it, it appears at least right now that college football is headed in that direction. Um, and then you look at the way the BCS and the way that pollsters react. I mean, you look at USC's defense this year. They, they had one loss to the best defense in the country. And they, I mean, they're not even, they weren't even sniffing at the title game. I mean, no yeah. one was really talking about them going to the title game going into the last three weeks of the season. I mean, so much crazy stuff would have had to have happened for that to have occurred, you know, now had let's let's flip it. Had it been this crazy prolific offense that was scoring 65 points a game, 60 points, you know, just running up the score on everybody, and the defense was a little suspect, and it wasn't great, and you know they were allowing some points. I think I, I think it can make a very strong case that maybe people would have thought of USC as a more dominant football team because of how many points they scored, and that's just I mean that's flawed in logic. I mean it shouldn't necessarily be like that, but that's just the truth. I mean look at People talked so much about how good the Big 12 was this year. I mean, I haven't seen a defense in the Big 12 that I thought was particularly dominant. No, and I think that brings up to the next point. Um, the, the postseason awards, a lot of them have come out, and there have been three first-team All-Americans, Ray Maluga, Brian Cushing, and, and Taylor Mays. Obviously, those are all guys that are on the defensive side of the ball. The only offensive player getting a sniff, I think he might have had a second and a third team, is uh, Jeff Byers, the uh, offensive guard. Lot Mark of, Sanchez was honorable mention in one list. That I okay, and Mark Sanchez too. made an honorable mention in one of the lists. I mean, there's a lot of, for people who don't know, there's a lot of All-American lists, and there's there's a few that are kind of known like every year, uh, but more and more are added. People add, some of them have third team, some of them only have first team. I mean, there's a lot of different kind of lists. But, you know, like the, the Sporting News and the, the Football Coaches Association, I mean, there's stuff, uh, the Football Writers Association, stuff like that. There's some well-known ones, and there's some offshoot ones that um, – you know, that people put out there. But anyway, there's not really any offensive talent uh, prominent on any of those All-American lists. And when you look at all the guys that brought in, I think that's why people have an issue is because there's been so many five-star guys. Why are none of them, uh, you know, up for any of these awards here? And I, I think that's where a lot of the Trojan fans and, you know, pretty much where your statement came from, uh, you know, last week that everyone kind of jumped on you for. It's kind of along the lines of, I mean, one of my favorite quotes of all time, um, I, I, I forgot, I believe, I'm going to attribute it to Charles Barkley just because he runs his mouth and, he, and, and he's probably <laughs> said this some, sometime, was that, you know, the only guy that could ever hold Michael Jordan under 20 points a game was Dean Smith. And, like, that's kind of how I look sort of at this offense, is that, you know, I mean, they're going to have guys, I mean, that I'm fairly confident are going to be pretty successful NFL players. You know, I think that they have guys... I, I mean, I, even a guy like Patrick Turner, who I look at the year he's had, I see him as a successful NFL receiver. I don't, I don't know. I'm not ready to say he'll be a great one, but I think he's shown enough skills and his route running, and he's really progressed this year, and he's been really good in the red zone. He's a guy who I think can be a really good NFL player. Yeah. But, I mean, he's got t- he's got 10 touchdown catches this year. Look at Michael Crabtree's numbers. Yeah, no, I there's... Mean, compared it's a... to a guy like that, it, it's, they're silly. You know what I mean? And And that's why, I mean... You, I mean, you could say, oh, well, Patrick Turner was consistent. You know, he played well for most of the season, which is what I, I mean, I thought he did on one, you know, on a top, a top team's offense. You know, the USC finished in the top five, the BCS. You know, how can they not have anybody offensively on an All-American list? Well, because outside of Mark Sanchez, nobody really had great numbers. 
I mean, none of the running. I mean, the running backs all share carries, so they don't get good numbers. The receivers, the ball is spread around so much that they don't really get great numbers. And you can look at the offensive line, but that's not that sexy. I mean, that's kind of hard to, to pinpoint, you know, who's been really, really good unless you're just so clearly dominant. A lot of that stuff is almost even predetermined, I feel like, before the year by who has buzz around them. I mean, it, it's really, to me, that was one of the least surprising, thing, least surprising things that's happened all year was that nobody on this offense got, you know, postseason award cred credit because it just was kind of like that kind of an offense. I mean, outside of, like I said, had USC gone undefeated and had Mark Sanchez's numbers been maybe a little bit better, I think he might have gone to New York as a finalist. But, I mean, even still, when you look at the, the numbers at Sam Bradford, Colt McCoy, and then, you know, obviously when Tebow's different, Tebow's just, I mean, he's the defending champion. But, I mean, when you look at those guys' numbers and you and you just look at the points that they've generated, I don't know how you can, in, in the same mind, say that Mark Sanchez has been as good as those guys when you look at their just production. No, you're right. And uh, this I think this would be a good topic maybe next week we can talk about it or one of the other weeks is, is this an offense? You know, everyone talks about not having an identity. Is this an offense? An offense with no identity by design? Is it coming from the top? Um, you know, when Sark and Kiffin were both calling plays, they never really would answer the question: Who was the real offensive coordinator? Who was calling the plays? It was almost like they didn't want anyone to be kind of the architect. It was more be Carroll wanted to be the team. You know, will it be Morton? Will it be Carl Smith? Well, it's it's the USC offense. It's the team. It's not about one individual person. So, you know, maybe it's the same way with the players, too. They just wanted to kind of spread it around, and they didn't really have an identity. But one one last topic, uh, Dan, I wanted to get into, but remind me, we'll talk about that in more detail some other time. I'm sure you have some thoughts. Okay. The uh, NFL draft, you, you mentioned this to me earlier. You know, we just talked about some of the players and where they could go in the NFL. What about some of the underclassmen? What are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, I've been reading some stuff, and, you know, I've been talking to players, too, um, the guys, the guy who obviously I think has the biggest in between on the fence decision to make is Mark Sanchez. That being said, I think as of right now, I think he comes back um, strictly because I think some other quarterbacks are going to come out ahead of him. There's it's not a particularly strong senior class of quarterbacks, but there are some good um, underclass and quarterbacks as far as NFL draft prospects go. Um, Rivals.com today put out a list of their top 30 underclassmen, um, and you know Mark Sanchez was not on that list. Um, you know, and, and that's that's if you're talking about coming out to be a second a second round pick, I don't think that's a safe decision. I think that's kind of silly, especially when you consider the success that USC has had, um, kind of grooming quarterbacks through the years, and kind of the respect that those guys get. That if he comes back and has a similar season to the year he had this year, I feel like his stock would certainly improve even more as a second year full time starter. Um, Taylor Mays is going to be tough. It'll be tough for him to come back. I know. USC fans want him to come back. Um, if he's a top five pick, I don't see any way how he comes back. I, I really don't. Um, there's just too there's just too many dollars involved, and there's just too much risk for a kid to come back and maybe get hurt, especially a guy who relies so much on his athleticism, like Taylor. I mean, if he were to come back and and, and blow out a knee or something like that, you know, that would just be disastrous. I mean, for him and and kind of his what makes him so special is like you know his unique size and speed. I think if he's a top five, even a top 10 pick, I, I really have a hard, I would have a hard time pushing a guy like him back to school. I've also read some stuff about Stefan Johnson, maybe thinking about it, but that I don't, I, I really don't see that as, as a viable possibility. Again, a guy who I don't even know where he would get picked. I'm not, a, I would imagine he'd probably be a first day draft pick, but I haven't even seen, you know, I haven't seen his name on any lists or 
and and when you think about the running backs that are out, um, I just I would have a hard time putting it. I mean, I would have a hard time taking him against a guy like Javon Ringer per se, who has shown that he can carry a full workload and shown that he can be productive. Yeah, I guess the one benefit for a guy like Stefan and and Gable and everybody there is because he doesn't have the full workload. You know, he's probably a little fresher going in the NFL, but they, you know they haven't seen enough of him, so I don't know if he would get drafted all that high. Uh, rookie running backs do really well in the NFL, and uh, you know, a guy that comes in with a little you know fresher legs, they might like that a little bit. But you're not going to get drafted as high unless you really. Yeah, that goes, that goes back and forth. I mean, sometimes I mean, you a lot of people that was a big criticism of Cedric Benson when he came out was that you know oh he'd carried the ball so many times in college, no wonder why he stinks in the NFL. Um, but then you look at a guy like Matt Forte. This year, um, and I hate to use two Chicago. Actually, no, I don't hate. I love to use two Chicago Bears examples. But I mean, you look at a guy like Matt Forte, who was Tulane's offense last year, and this year he is the Bears' offense. So, I mean, it, it kind of goes both ways as far as that. I think though that I mean, when it comes to scouting, it, it's really hard to project right now what kind of NFL back Stephon Johnson is going to be, or what kind of NFL back CJ Gable is going to be, or Alan Bradford. I do agree with you though, and, and from talking to some scouts. They do like the fact that they haven't taken a lot of hits. Yeah, being fresh is, is, is at least one benefit, but there's a lot they got to look into. And I agree with you on Mays. I mean, if he comes out projected even top 15, it's going to be hard for him not to do anything. I think Sanchez has got to stay where he is. Uh, there's a lot of people. I, I just don't think he's going to be drafted all that high, and he's got a real chance to, to make this an offensive team next year. This year was a defensive team. Next year it's probably going to have to be an offensive team because especially if a guy like Mays leaves, you pretty much have nine or ten or more guys leaving from the from this the defensive side of the ball alone. So, um, all right, Dan. Well, unfortunately, that's all the time we have for this segment. But thank you very much for joining us. Try to stay uh, dry there, and we will talk to you again next week. Always a pleasure, Ryan. All right, everyone else. We are trying to track down. You would think I'd be able to get him, Gerard Martinez. We're going to talk some more. Either way, we're going to talk recruiting in this next segment. But hopefully, we'll have Gerard on the line. He'll be able to share some of his thoughts. There was a big weekend and we have the, the uh, um, quiet period coming up so after this weekend there's not going to be too much recruiting talk going on but stay tuned for that you are listening to the Peristyle podcast from los angeles california hey usc trojan fans to get into the huddle of your southern cal trojans log on to uscfootball.com today for all the latest in trojan football basketball and recruiting news Ryan Abraham will give you an in-depth analysis, recruiting updates, and will answer your questions every day on the message board. So for all the latest in team and recruiting news on your USC Trojans, check out uscfootball.com, the officially licensed Southern Cal site of the Rivals.com network. It's time to get back to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Abraham, and as promised, we did get him on the line. Gerard Martinez, uscfootball.com recruiting analyst. What's up, Gerard? You uh, surviving the rain-soaked L.A. basin right now? Yes, I am uh, drying off, and drip-drying. I like to drip-dry. So I'm standing here hovering over my computer, and uh, hopefully it does not break it. Nice. All right, well, I heard you on uh, the radio. I actually got the... Uh, the link to it you sent it over to me and uh, it was pretty cool dr casey she's a woman that uh, a doctor came by our tailgate and was really interested in uh, the stress that goes through some of these recruits so you she had you on the show there for a pretty long segment that was pretty cool it sounded like you know what you're talking about 
<laughs> yeah, sometimes it sounds like I know what I'm talking about. It's like the first local radio I've done in a while. Uh, everybody from South Carolina, Nebraska, and Texas, they always like to have me on talk about recruiting. But uh, locally, it seems like uh, not people are not really interested in recruiting so much. So uh, I guess it's just the way it goes. Yeah, we don't get too much local uh, radio talking about recruiting. So as the Peristyle Podcast, we do that. Of course, we cover USC, and it's not just local. You can get it all over the world because it's on the World Wide Web. Uh, some interesting stuff came out this week. I mean, I think sometimes USC fans get a little spoiled. Every guy USC goes after, four-star, five-star guy. You broke some interesting news on a two-star guy. Uh, coach Linebacker coach Ken Norton uh, went after. I'm going to go after this guy's name. Simeone Vahakite, is that his name? Did I get very that? Good, wow. Very good. Very good. Wow. I mean, I, you struggled with Fangupo uh, a few months ago, <laughs> and uh, you nailed this one right on there. Pretty good, pretty good. Well, tell everyone about it. You did break the story. You were right on it. Tell everyone about what this kid's like. Well, Sine is uh, a kid that uh, played in the Hawaiian Prep Classic uh, last weekend and uh, a very good player, a guy that's really been under the radar because he actually came in from Maui and uh, transferred from Maui High School into uh, the high school there, Kapolei High School, which is in Oahu, which is where a lot of the more, you know, the, the, the big-time players in Hawaii usually come from, the big island, or not the big island, but it's uh, the big cities there uh, with Honolulu and everything. So that, that's, you know, where all the talent seems to come from. So nobody really knew about this kid coming in. He's a Tongan kid, he's about 6'1", 240 pounds, uh, linebacker, and he was playing defensive line, actually, uh, in Maui. So he came in, and uh, Coach Fernandez there at Kapolei High School looked at him and said, well, this kid looks like a million dollars. And he looks a lot faster, and he is a lot faster than uh, a defensive lineman. So let's put him at middle linebacker, maybe let him play a little fullback. And they did. And in the spring game, he just had a, a tremendous game, the kind of game where he was dominating so much that uh, they were a little afraid that maybe they just weren't that good of a team. <laughs> because when you bring in a transfer from a small school and all of a sudden he dominates your spring game, it's a little bit disconcerting. So, um, yeah, he, he came in and, and had like four sacks and ten tackles and, and just went crazy on him. And this year he had 119 tackles. And uh, he ran for t- ten touchdowns. He had ten yards of carry as a fullback. Uh, just was, you know, a, a tremendous player. And um, uh, Ken Norton Jr. was in Hawaii uh, coming back uh, from being in Texas and being in the L.A. Basin. Uh, flew out there to Hawaii to actually have an in-home visit with Manti Teo, who's the five-star uh, Punahou linebacker that uh, everybody's after. And while there, uh, you know, he'd, he'd heard and, and gotten some information on uh, Vaquite and decided to swing by the high school and get the film on him. So he came into the office and uh, checked up on some film and just evidently, according to Coach uh, Hernandez there, he just fell in love with the kid, was really, really excited about his passion, how aggressive he played. And uh, he got an eyeball on the kid. And, you know, like Coach Hernandez said, when he came in from uh, Maui, he's an impressive kid to look at. So there's a lot of talk of uh, an offer, um, kind of a verbal offer that uh, they were going to try to bring him in. Um, They do have a visit. Uh, coming up is probably going to be January 23rd. And interestingly enough, kind of the side note of this is that Stanley Hayek, um, a 6'6", 335-pound offensive tackle, also also from uh, Kapolei High School, is uh, going to be coming in. He's his teammate, so he's going to be coming in on the visit as well. Now, uh, Stanley Haziak is actually committed to UCLA right now, um, but he's looking around, and he felt like USC really wasn't after him, really didn't put um, the effort into recruiting him like some of the other schools did, so he, he felt like maybe he wasn't like a high-priority guy. But that was Coach Sarkeesian uh, recruiting uh, Haziak, and now you know you're probably going to have Coach Rule in there. You're going to have some different coaches, so it may change a little bit. He may you know, get a different vibe from USC, and you, you never know what's going to happen here uh, to the end of signing day. Now, Vahakite, uh 
two-star guy, I'm sure he'll probably bump up once he gets more interest. If he gets an offer from USC and some other people, they'll probably bump him up to a three-star or something. Oh, it would be magically a four-star. Yeah, it'll just, uh, <laughs> he's like, I just rivals 250 material. I tell you, he's going he's gonna to be a three-star, I think, regardless, because there was a lot of, a lot of very high praise uh, of his play coming from the Hawaii Prep Classic. He played really well in practice, and there was already buzz coming about it. And then, you know, he played really well in the game, actually being uh, kind of split in time with Manti Teo. So I think from that, even, you know, people probably are looking at him going, wow, you know, this guy's legitimate. And there'll probably be three stars from that. Now, you know, if he gets a scholarship offer and commits to USC, then there'll probably be even more incentive just because, you know, they look at USC and USC recruits great players. So you figure, hey, they're going to recruit this guy. He must be a great player. All right. Uh, you know, we, unfortunately, we didn't leave a lot of time for Gerard in this last segment. We'll have him on for sure in the future podcast as, as we head up till signing day. But you mentioned That's Ma- it? No, no, That's no. We're not going to. you out of the ring for five minutes? No, no, no. We got more. I'm just saying. Manti- I thought it take you that long to get Von Kipe's name right. Uh, no, you know, I'm pretty good with this stuff once you tell me how it is. Yeah. Uh, you're like uh, a, 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 a honorary Tongan today. Yeah, yeah. I have a lot of Tongan friends now just from the guys on the team. Uh, but <laughs> you, you mentioned Manti Teo. Uh, can you give a quick update on him and what's going on in that on the recruiting front there? Uh, you know, Manti's still uh, on his top five. You know, UCLA. Um, he's got uh, Stanford, um, BYU, USC. I think Cal's in there too. Um, or maybe not. I, he's still got a top five. Uh, it's basically everybody kind of figures it's going to be BYU or USC. Um, off of the Hawaiian Prep Classic, a lot of people are really feeling like BYU is the team to beat. And like I said, Ken Norton went out there, talked to him in person, had an in-home visit, and he's just a huge fan of Ken Norton Jr. Been a huge fan of Ken Norton Jr. since he played with the 49ers. So, you know, we're going to see. It's, it's all about that visit. It's all about him coming in and really seeing USC as a school and not necessarily just a great football program because that's really big for Manti. Manti is really not one of those guys that's just obsessed and everything is about football and getting in the NFL. Obviously, that's a goal for him, but he's got a lot of other goals in life, and USC has to be able to fulfill those things. So, that's that's gonna be all about the visit, official visit. So that's kind of where he is right now, still. And then, just in, in general with recruiting, just so people know, most of the visits coming up are all gonna be in January because we're about to hit a quiet or dark period where coaches can't contact recruits. Is that correct? That's correct. Uh, there could maybe be a, week, uh, a visit this weekend. Um, they might sneak in. Um, kind of not real sure about that yet right now, so I don't want to get name names or anything. But um, there's a slim possibility that happens. But, yeah, most of these guys are going to be coming in in January. Uh, you've got the 9th, the 16th, and the 23rd as weekends that they can bring guys in. So those are going to be the, the, the big recruiting weekends. All right. And then uh, last weekend, the biggest name coming in, Devon Kennard, uh, super stud, five-star defensive end. Out of Arizona, what was, what are the thoughts? I mean, we had an article up on USCFootball.com, but what are your thoughts coming into that? I think a lot of USC fans are nervous because he still has a visit with Texas coming up. Yeah, um, Cal and, and Texas are, are still recruiting him pretty hard, and you know Cal wants him to come in and play outside linebacker in a 3-4. Uh, Texas wants him to be the next Brian uh, Arakapo. Um, you know, we'll see. I, I think the USC is in a good position. I think obviously he's very comfortable with with USC, and he's comfortable with you know not only some of the players but the recruits. I mean, he knows Matt Barkley very well. He's uh, good friends with TJ McDonald, and uh, so I mean they're in a good position. It's it, it'll be interesting though. I mean, Texas is obviously a program that can press people, and Cal's going to do what they can, you know, to try to try to you know kind of give them something to think about with uh, that that outside linebacker position. You know, obviously I think a lot of guys. 
they if you're if you're a defensive end and you want to play linebacker, if you're a linebacker you want to play safety, it kind of seems like those guys always want to be bumped up to the next skill position. So it's an intriguing thing for him. I mean, he's talked about Cal a lot, and like you said, I mean Texas is going to get the last shot at uh, at kind of closing this thing out, and we'll see when he actually does his uh, his commitment, his announcement. He's going to be down there at the Army All American game, uh, January third. It doesn't seem like he wants to, to commit that early, but he kind of left the door open. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. All right. Uh, how about Morel Presley? A quick update on him. He was USC's actually first commit, the tight end. Yeah. But uh, it looks like he's going between USC and UCLA now. He had a good visit. Uh, really kind of has been underground since he officially visited UCLA. You know, we've got bits and pieces of information here and there. Um, you know, basically, uh, his dad, uh, Steve Hawkins there is, is, is talking, said, you know, he's, he's not decommitted from USC until we say he's decommitted from USC, which, uh, kind of leaves it a little vague and open. Um, but they're still trying to figure things out right now. So it's still UCLA and USC, and we haven't necessarily gotten any kind of timetable for decision. It's got to come up fairly quickly because he's got to enroll at USC January 9th. He's still talking about getting um, into USC and, and being there for spring football and graduating early from Carson. So that this is going to be a little bit – this process has to be sped along a little bit. He can't just uh, hang out until signing day because he's already supposed to be at USC or UCLA or whoever, whatever school he goes to by signing day. So we'll see. It's, got to, it's going to be coming down here to the wire, it seems. And then one last thing, uh, another guy that's going to be coming in early, Matt Barkley, some people kind of questioned, is he going to go where Kiffin is or Sark or whatever, but he's obviously enrolling early. But when I, we were down there, it didn't seem like his father, I think Les Barkley, I believe is his name, didn't, uh, didn't realize that uh, John Martin was hired as the offensive coordinator. Do you think that's going to affect, uh, you know, what, and not affect his decision, but was, was Matt like happy about that or do you know what he thought about it? I, I don't think it matters either way. Um, he's pretty much uh, a big fan of Pete Carroll, and unless the offense was going to change in some dramatic way and they were going to have uh, Matt run the wishbone, it's not going to change. So <laughs> he's, Georgia Tech he's, thing, yeah. he's, he's pretty pumped about USC, and uh, he was recruiting his butt off there uh, this weekend trying to get uh, some, some teammates. Awesome. Okay, Jared, well, sorry it was short. We'll definitely have you on longer next time. You know, Dan kind of goes a little... He can talk a little bit. So, uh, But thank you very much for joining us, and we'll definitely talk to you next week more about recruiting. Thank you for having me, man. All right, everyone else, thanks very much. It was a great show this week, and uh, we'll be back next week with episode number 45. Stay tuned. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can now download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player. Just search for Peristyle Podcast the next time you log into iTunes.